0: You are listening to the LDS Divorce Coach Podcast, Episode 99, interview with author Noelle McBride. Welcome to the LDS Divorce Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Sanchez. I have five kids and I love sports and the piano. And I'm also a certified life coach and divorce coach. Here I talk about living your best life. Whether you're divorced, married or single, it doesn't matter. Achievement is nothing without fulfillment, so let's go. Hey everybody, how you doing out there? I hope great. I'm doing really well. I'm excited about this interview today. So I interview Noelle McBride. She's the author of Beauty for Ashes, Divorce, and the Latter-day Saint Woman, and she's just fun she's great and she's very knowledgeable and she's very well spoken and a great author I hope everybody goes out and reads her book whether you've been divorced or not we talk about that a little bit her book is just great for healing through the atonement period So a little bit about her. Noelle McBride was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest. On rainy days, you can find her curled up with a book and hot cup of tea in front of a fire. She is grateful to parents that inspired a love of reading and writing at a very early age. She has been writing short stories and mildly bad poetry since she was about eight years old old. In high school, she was the editor of her high school newspaper and dreamed of being a journalist. However, in college, she decided to follow her other love, interior design. After marriage and children, the siren call of writing lured her back, and between interior design jobs, you can find her furiously writing to capture her thoughts at all times of the day and night. She is happily remarried and is the mother to six amazing kids. Beauty for Ashes, Divorce and the Latter-day Saint Woman is her first published book. So guys, come on in and listen. We talk about so much. We talk about this uncomfortable subject of divorce and how she healed through it and the challenges that she faced and how she used the atonement to heal. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think without further ado here we are hey everybody i am here with my guest noel mcbride noel hello hi how are you
1: i'm great <laughs> good i'm Happy so to be here
0: i'm so glad i am so glad you're here and i'm so glad that we found each other and especially that i found this wonderful book of yours and so i just want to I want to go right into questions about how you even came to write this book. It wasn't right as you were going through a divorce, was it? Like, tell us kind of the background.
1: No. Um, so my book is entitled Beauty for Ashes, Divorce and the Latter-day Saint Woman. And um, this book was something that actually came to me um in a, in a kind of uh, interesting experience. I was in the middle of my divorce. Um, it actually just become final. And I was living in a rental and I wasn't sure what was next for my family and I. And I spent a lot of time crying. <laughs> and I had three young kids, um, all boys. And at the time I just would talk in my walk-in closet because that was like the place that I could um, fall apart and my kids wouldn't hear me. Right. Right. And so I called up my friend and I was just sobbing um, with her and and just in a really, like I, I just didn't know what the future was gonna bring and what it was gonna look like. And my life was nothing like what I had pictured it to be at that point. And she just said really firmly to me, Noelle, um, someday your story is gonna inspire other people. And it was just an electrical moment for me because I, I stood there and I thought, whoa, wait, and, and I could actually see in my mind's eye, I'm writing a book. And, uh, it was so overwhelming to me because I was right in the middle of the, you know, the height of my crisis that I immediately was like, whoa, I just got to put that idea away. Mm-hmm. And, um, I have always enjoyed writing. Um, I am a prolific journal writer. I think when you and I talked, I shared, I have about 50 personal journals, right? So, <laughs> Yeah. So, um, I've written for years and, and I've, I've done lots of different things. It's actually in my patriarchal blessing. So I kind of had thought that I had fulfilled that, but that tiny glimpse (laughs) that I think the spirit gave me in that moment showed that the Lord had so much more for me. So, um, fast forward five years later. Okay. And, um, I, I had, you know, at that point, finally come up with a title for the book and, um, was just busy writing things on scraps of paper here and there. And just kind of like someday, someday I'll get to that point where I write that, you know, it was kind of that. And every once in a while I'd mention it to somebody to kind of hold myself a little bit accountable. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, I finally wanted to really start working on it. Um, I got a little bit more serious and it was a few years later, I was remarried at this point And, um, and my husband noticed my, Um, (laughs) my awesome note taking, which was, you know, scraps of paper here and there. And and he was like, can I help corral this for you a little bit? And let's put it in one note. And I had never heard of one note and I'm a huge fan now. So I started putting everything into one note and a couple more years went by. And um, I had two kids that had gone off to college. When my husband and I got married, we have six kids between the two of us. So five boys and one girl. Oh, wow. Busy household. Right. So when we sent two off to college, it was like, Oh, <laughs> I have more space and room to breathe. And just, you know, right. I would, um, I just felt more like I had more time on my hands, um, even though I still had four kids at home and it was busy. Uh, but that general conference, I, um, I went with a specific question. We'd been challenged, you know, go to general conference with a question. My question was, you know, Heavenly Father, should I get serious about working on my book beauty for ashes divorce in the Latter-day Saint woman? And so that was my question. I wrote it down. And then that um, I was getting things ready. I was putting stuff in the crock pot and I was listening to conference and the rest of my family was downstairs and, and it was in the October, 2017 session, John C. C. Pingree was the first speaker. And, um, I, I still remember the moment I was standing in my kitchen and, um, he, he asked the question in his talk. He said, does the Lord have a work for you to do? Mm. The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I still get so emotional about it because I was like, Oh, (laughs) there's your answer. There's my answer. And then his whole talk, if you listen to his talk, he, he talks about being an instrument in the Lord's hands and, and that the Lord, you know, can take these uh, talents and gifts that he's given us and then, and do great things with them. And what I wanted more than anything is when I went through my divorce, there were no books about like faithful women going through a divorce and utilizing the healing power of the atonement. And I, I longed for that as I went through my divorce. And so Mm -hmm. that became my focus. I wanted to write a book that would be healing for women. Mm -hmm. And so it took me several more years to, to write it. Um, we published it in 2020. So I started seriously working on it in 2017. Part of it was I had my own healing still to do. Like there were things that I had to work through. Um, and that was part, that was really important to me that anyone that would pick up my book, because you, you, when you go through a divorce, you get broken down and you're just raw. Right. And so you can't read someone else's raw experiences. You need to, I mean, you can, but then it's not healing for you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was really important to me that, that the things that I had shared and talked about were bits and pieces that I had healed from and had learned through, you know, the Holy ghost and through utilizing the atonement, how to work through those emotions and feelings and things like that. So what we ended up with was a book that is, you know, chock full of my own personal experiences utilizing the atonement of Jesus Christ and, um, and healing from those hard things that come through a divorce and the wonderful thing about it, as I've had people read it and, um, share things is, is that I've had a lot of friends who are not, have not gone through a divorce, but love me. And we're like, I'll read your book. Right. Yes. Yeah. And they have said, Oh my goodness, there's so much more in here. Like you have given information for any kind of trial. Um, so that was, I, I didn't write it with that intention, but, um, I'm, it has made me really thankful that it's had so much more value. Like, so one of my friends, her mom is a Relief Society president. She's like, mom, you have to read this book just read it. And, and it was really helpful for her, you know, um, to be able to read it from that perspective and understand it. And, and so it's, I'm finding that even if you haven't gone through a divorce, it still has, you know, um, it, it brings worth and merit, you know? Absolutely.
0: So. Yeah. I was thinking it's now a required reading for all of my <laughs> clients. Like of-
1: That's
0: so, I and, love that. But I love that you said that. That you didn't really write about your in the crisis, the situation, that the experiences you were going through. It was mo- it was all about the healing. You did mention a few things, you know, to, yeah. to be relatable, but it's all about the healing. Anyone divorced or not, any type of trial, like you said, it is really it's beautifully done and expressed to encompass any trial. Um, to hold on to Christ and what you can do. I I love their action steps, but as well as you talk about becoming, a lot, and we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, I want to kind of take my listeners through a little bit through your book, kind of chronologically. And at the beginning, when you were talking about you know going through the divorce and kind of the reason why. You never, and I, I already told you this when we (laughs) talked before this, I was so impressed with you that you did not use this as any opportunity to throw your ex under the bus. So to speak, there is nothing you put full ownership and responsibility. Can you tell us why, like why you decided to not even include maybe some of his, right. You know, like uh, experiences and, and troubles that you had with him or, or whatever,
1: right well um it it was very purposely done like as you've already touched on um and part of it is that that part of healing is we have to take responsibility for our part like you you can't heal from something until you are the, like you take ownership mm-hmm. um for your part of it so um that was part of the reason why i didn't share about him the other reason is it's his story right Right. Like, like I don't have the right to share his story. And the other reason is that he is the father of my children. Yes. And, um, and that is paramount, right? Like, and that doesn't change. That's, that's an eternal role. Like no matter how I feel about him personally, that role as the father of my children, that never, ever changes. So there's that respect for that role um, regardless of how I may feel personally. And so, um, and also I wanted it to be a book that someday if my children read, they wouldn't be like, you know, Mm -hmm. wow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) at too much information, you know, and, um, and the other reason is that people can change, Mm um, people can repent and people and I, I talk about that in my book, you know, for me personally, I am not the same person, anymore. And so um, I just think that those were all good reasons why not to share those things and to um, keep the book focused on my experiences and my story.
0: Yeah, I personally just loved that. Let's talk about the decision. To divorce, that is the toughest thing. And when I was going through mine, nobody would tell me. <laughs> no <laughs> one tells you, will they? They, you know, wow. I was consulting with my bishop a lot, counseling with him, and friends, family, and just. That was frustrating. And, um, you talk about, um, counseling with your counselor, you had a therapist along the way and this therapist sounded amazing, by the way.
1: He he is. He's fantastic. Yes. Yeah.
0: He suggested you take it to the Lord instead of asking heavenly father, should I divorce you go with a decision? Can you expound on that a little?
1: Yeah. So, um, well, it actually kind of dovetails into what we've been studying right now and come follow me because um there's that uh, where Oliver Cowdery is talking to the Lord and the Lord kind of gently chastises him and says, You've you've given no thought to this, you just thought I was gonna give you the answer, right? Mm-hmm. And same thing, like and really what it boiled down to was I was so afraid of making the wrong choice. And I wanted someone to say, Yes, you're doing the right thing, right? Yeah. And um, and some people have people in their life that will do that. But um, my counselor was like, "Noel, this, uh, you, you have to be the one that makes this decision. Like we, I, I can't tell you right or wrong. And, and I counseled with him. He was my counselor for seven years. I don't live in that area anymore. And that's the only reason that he's not my counselor anymore, but for seven years. And, and never in that time was he like, Oh, I just was like, Praying that you, you know, like there was never a moment that he said, yeah, you did a great job with a divorce. That was not that he never, ever gave one um, way of approval or not. It was just simply helping me process and work through the next step. So I think that when we are asking, you know, um, should we be doing this? It's usually out of fear Mm -hmm. of making the wrong choice. And what I've learned, and this is something I share later in the book, but what I've learned is, is that, that this life, the purpose of this life is for us to learn. So there's no way of failing in this life. Mm -hmm. If we've learned something Mm -hmm. and sometimes heavenly father allows us to sometimes even go down the wrong road for a little bit. So we learn, ah, that's not what I need, or that's not the right road for me. And then we get to turn around Um, we have the atonement, we have repentance, all those different things. And and then we are, we can get back onto the path and be clear about where we're moving forward to. So, um, I am, I am a person that likes to get things. I'm a perfectionist, a recovering perfectionist. Yes. Me too. (laughs) Yes. And so I like to get things right from the very beginning. So this was Mm -hmm. a hard, hard thing for me to learn, but, um, Heavenly Father is patient and kind and So it's, it's been a good experience. And so that now I have trust in my heavenly father that I'm going to, I'm going to do my very best to make the best possible decision. And as I go forward, if I'm on the wrong path, he'll let me know. And then I'll have the opportunity to turn around and, and correct that and get on the right path. And gosh, I'm going to learn a lot along the way. Right. Right.
0: Along the way we, it's human to seek validation. It's human to seek, you know, that direction. And you were given that. I remember reading that you were in the temple and you read a specific verse in Jacob, Jacob five. I don't know if you have it memorized or that verse, but (laughs) it really resonated with me that Mm -hmm. it was kind of like heavenly father validating you in a
1: sense Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that was interesting because, um, with that experience with my counselor, I made the decision then to stay married. Like, so before that experience in the temple, my decision was to stay married. And, um, I, I'd been married for 17 years. We had three children, like I'm going to stay married. Like that was my decision. And it was really interesting because again, it's doctrine and covenants, right? What we're studying right now. And I had that stupor of thought. Like I, it was, I, if I felt like the heavens closed and I spent so much time on my knees and praying and just not feeling any of that um, comfort from the spirit that I had made the right choice. And um, I was studying my patriarchal blessing. And um, as I fell asleep, I had a very, um, the sacred experience where I could see my path. And one path was like light and verdant and green and lush and, um, just a path you want to be on. And then the other path was, um, dark and desolate and things mm. were decaying on it. And I could see that I had two paths before me. And, um, I fell asleep with that thought in my mind and I woke up the next morning And I still had it in my mind. And I was, I remember I was trembling because I was just like, I think that this is the spirit helping me to recognize I have two paths. And so I got on my knees and I was like, okay, Emily father, I made this decision to stay married and I'm not feeling peaceful about it. So I'm going to make the decision instead to get divorced. And you can hear right. it still is this moment for me. It was a very pivotal moment. Right. And, um, and instantly, like, it was like the heavens reopen. I felt the spirit. I felt this confirmation of peace. And I was like, whoa, you know, and it just, I, I just sat there and sobbed because it was not at all what I had wanted. And it was not at all what I had expected. So then, you know, I made that decision. Okay. And so then, well, what does that mean? Right? Like nobody gets married to get divorced. Right. And I didn't even know what next steps were. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. totally. So I was like, okay, I just have to, at least I need to go to the temple. I need to go to the temple and receive confirmation for this. And so I, um, and I shared it with my mom and my sister and my sister, it was interesting because they both had very different reactions. My sister was like, "Oh, I love you. I'm so glad you've come to this realization. <laughs> We've been praying and fasting for you." And I was like, "Okay, you know." And then my mom was like, "Sweetheart, are you like, are you sure you can't just work this out? Like, right? It
0: doesn't, oh. it doesn't
1: seem like you know, like, can you?" So that was really, really hard for me, and I was, I was frustrated, <laughs> honestly, about that. Um, but my mom. Bless her heart. She just was wanting to be supportive. Right. And like, so she was like, I'll, I'll do any, whatever you need. Let's go to the temple together. You know? And I was like, I told her I was going. So she said, can I come? And I said, yes. So we went and we had a great session. And, um, but as we went into the celestial room, she and I were, you know, timed differently. So she went and kind of was in her own corner and praying. And then I took a moment and I, um, I picked up some scriptures in there and I love Jacob five, the allegory of the olive tree. It is my favorite mm-hmm, chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, and I'm a huge gardener, so that's probably why. Oh my <laughs> that's my favorite scripture. So, or, um, uh, chapter. So I was sitting there and I was just reading through and, um, and the, the prayer that I had was like, heavenly father, if there's more that I can do, please tell me, like, I, I will do whatever needs to be done. If there's more, like, tell me what I need to do. And, um, and I came across the scripture and I don't have it memorized. I should, but it talks about what more could you have done?
0: Yeah.
1: You've done, you've pruned, you've watered, you've done all these different things and, And the Lord of the vineyard is grieving over the loss of his tree. And it was just this, another one of those pivotal moments where the spirit just testified to me that I had done everything that I possibly could to save my marriage. And it was okay. And there were like part of that understanding of the, you know, two paths before me is, is Mm -hmm. that I couldn't, I couldn't continue to progress any further if I stayed. And so, um, that was huge for me. And then what was even more, so I just was soaking that in, right. Like I'm in this luster room and I'm having this moment and I'm feeling the spirit so strongly and just enjoying that experience with that. And, um, I finish up and then my mom, um, comes over and she like grabs my arm and she looks at me and she's like, honey, I, I know that you're being led by the spirit. Like I feel it. Like it, she, she'd had her own spiritual witness nice. and that was huge. Like, and I wasn't asking for that and I wasn't um, expecting that, but that was, that was such a tender mercy because then it allowed my parents to, you know, like throw all their weight and support behind me and in everything that I move forward with. And they were huge. I just lived a mile away from them. And so they, they stepped up, like my dad helped, you know, in so many different ways, um, you know, just with those, especially with having three boys. (laughs) So, yeah. And my mom and they just, they were huge blessing to me, but they, my mom needed to have that spiritual witness for herself so that she could have that confidence that, Mm -hmm. yep, I was on the right path. So, um, that was, that was a huge moment, but I, I, and in talking to other, you know, women who have experienced divorce, that, that is like, we, as women turn ourselves inside out, trying to Mm -hmm. fix and save and do everything that we possibly can. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes we lose ourselves in the effort of trying to do that. And so it was just, um, like I said, a tender mercy that the Lord said, you you've done enough, you've done enough. Yeah, yeah, that
0: that experience really spoke to me when I read it. It took me back, because yeah. I too, I too had the Holy Ghost completely confirmed to me to continue on with the divorce process. Um, I won't go into detail, but it was a very spiritual experience, and I remember thinking, I never thought the Holy Ghost would tell me to end my marriage. Right. I didn't even even have the two paths like you you had that spiritual experience where you had the vision of kind of those two paths I only had one path and that was to stay married yeah so when I finally was presented with that and felt that it, it and the scripture going along with everything that I did that's why it has to be our own decision Right. That's yeah. why it has to come from within. So I would just love that. And of course, your book elaborates a lot on that. Now, now you're divorced. Yeah. So, and you talked about the support from your parents. Let's talk about, you know, just a couple of the hard things. Some of the, the triggers. It's it's hard for, you know, us divorced people. Well, we're married again. But after divorce, you have this trigger who's a human being. Yeah. So how do you... Uh now and yours was in the same ward can you tell us about
1: that experience oh man that was hard that was really hard um so I was fortunate enough to find a rental that was was very close I wanted to stay in the same neighborhood area so that my kids could continue to go to school I was trying to give them as much continuity as possible. of course yes yeah And we were, it was in, it was in the middle of the school year when our divorce was finalized. Right. And, um, I knew that I couldn't afford the house. So I was happy to give that to him and say, you've got the house. And so he, he moved into the house. Um, and so, and he'd been living with his family right during the middle of our separation and divorce. So he moved into the house. And so now we're in the same ward. (laughs) And shortly after our divorce became final, he was engaged. And so then you get the added complexity of his fiance and him coming to the same ward. Two triggers, two, double. So, and we'd been in this ward for 10 years. It was, I had had two children while in this ward. So it really was the only ward that my kids had ever known. And so that was the other reason I wanted to stay in the ward because again, you wanted to provide as much stability for your kids as you possibly can when everything else is changing. So it was really hard in the beginning. Um, like I would see him down the hallway and my heart would leap like mm-hmm. catch yeah. because I'd been in love with this man for 17 years. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I would feel that like, and it'd be like, you're divorced. <laughs> and the woman next to him is his fiance, (laughs) you know, it would just have to be this. So, so I started to really like tense up at church, like, because I was constantly like, there he is. And, and there she is. And, and you can't like, and they are, you know, they're, they're wanting to participate. They're wanting to partake of the sacrament. They're wanting to go to Relief Society and Sunday school and all those different things that, you know, are part of what you want to do too. And so it just, Like I had to work so hard to get out the door and go to church. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the weeks that my kids would go and visit their dad, those 10 days, then I was by myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, um, you know, and then they would be sitting together as a happy little family. It was, it was bitter, Emily. It was really bitter. Right. Um, Like it talks about, you know, in the scriptures, know sipping from the bitter cup that was that was bitter yeah but i had an amazing bishop an amazing relief society president and that bishop um assigned me um well just asked for really good friends of mine and they were like please walk with her everywhere she goes so she's never caught unaware and has to have this conversation any kind of conversations they sat with me for Sunday school. They sat with me for release society. And my release society president was an angel. She never, ever asked me the reasons why I got divorced. Wow. That she, she didn't need to know. And, and then she also told the sisters and I, I never knew about it. Like, and nobody ever asked me was like, I'm so sorry. I heard you got like those horrible, awkward conversations that you worry about having. Right. Yes. I never had to have any of them and she handled it so discreetly. And at the time I also had a, um, I'd had a state calling. So I often was doing like ward conferences and things like that. So people were used to sometimes not seeing me. And, um, so I even had people that, um, had moved out of the ward and didn't, didn't even know that I had gone through a divorce because it was so, it was done so discreetly. So I was really thankful for that. Yeah. But there was there I finally reached a point like so I did that for like 3 months and and then I was like I reached this point where I was like I I'm not receiving all that I can through getting to go to church because I'm so on guard and so tense and right. and it is not this safe place for me and um and it, so I share it in the book but it's kind of funny. It was like this moment where you know you like your are your busy mom and you've got your three kids in tow and And I'm trying to get there on time. And of course we're a little bit late. And so it's like the opening (laughs) hymn and we're like running up the aisle, trying to find a spot. And I'm like, oh, there's a place. And, and in Eastern Washington, people don't know this, but it is like Utah. Like there's there, you throw a rock and you hit a church. There's so many, the LDS population is huge there. And so anyway, our ward was always cram packed (laughs) and, and I spied this, pew that was partially open and and I went up and I went to sit in it and there was my ex and his fiance oh my gosh <laughs> and I was like whoa and I had a really good friend and she was the uh, music conductor she said it was like watching this in slow motion she's like it felt like the whole ward was gonna like took this deep breath of air like oh you know <laughs> you know and then uh, and then I was like oh yeah okay, we can't sit there you know and Thankfully there was another family and I like looked and they like scooted right over and we just slid right in with them. But, but it was, it was at that moment that I was like, I can't keep doing this. Like, this is not healthy for me. Like at that point we hadn't even been divorced six months. Like Mm -hmm. it was still so early in that, you know? And so I was like, okay. And so I went to my bishop and I said, look, I've got to, I am going to go to my parents ward that we're all in the same stake and, and I'm just going to go there. Mm -hmm. So I did. And that Bishop was so great too. Um, and my records were never transferred. That was a little bit hard for me. My stake president was like, Nope, um, your records are going to stay in the ward that you're in. Mm
0: -hmm. But
1: yeah, that Bishop was really good. Like, um, I couldn't hold a calling while in that ward, but he, he made sure that I got to participate in other ways, like opening prayers um, for sacrament meeting and, Like they just, um, or being a guest teacher for Sunday school and different things like that, anywhere that I could participate, he encouraged and included me. And I really appreciated that a lot. And it was, I remember that first Sunday that I sat with my parents after having, you know done this for so long going and part, being able to partake of the sacrament and just tears streaming down my face because I was, it was so peaceful for me. And it was healing, and I knew I was like, "This is what I needed to do." So I was stayed in that ward for nine months, and mm-hmm. uh, and it was a great experience. And then um, and then we moved, and then we were in a totally different ward in the same stake, but that was much more comfortable for everybody. So right, right. it's yeah.
0: interesting because you could have used that as kind of an excuse to stop going. Right, it was a pivotal choice for you. Like, you know, and I know this is super general, but within that space, what kept you, what, what made you keep going?
1: Uh, That's a good question. Um, A big part of it was my kids. Um, I wanted my children to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ, like I didn't have all the answers, but I knew I I had enough knowledge to know that I wasn't going to find answers anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So So even if the answers didn't come immediately and they were messy and it was hard, the answers were still going to be found in the gospel. So that was important to me. Um, I wanted them to see that. And then, um, and, and also my covenants were the most important thing to me at that point. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I wanted to go where I could, be able to enjoy the full measure of my covenants.
0: Hmm. I love that. I love that the answers aren't anywhere else. Well, there are a lot of answers. There's lots of self-help. We get Google now that can answer any question that we have, but the true healing is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's like, that's what your whole book is about. Now, I wanted to talk about um, your counselor suggested you going on a mission. So yeah, (laughs) yeah. Tell us about this so-called, you know, mission that you had. You weren't ready quite to go, you know, into the dating scene yet. Yeah. You suggested this. Tell, tell us more about that.
1: Well, I had a couple of really good, well-meaning girlfriends, you know, that were single and they were like,
0: oh, I can't wait. Yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> so much fun. And the more they talked about it, the more like I was having a lot of anxiety about it. And, and, um, one day I came in and I just kind of plopped down on my um, counselor's couch. And I was like, I've had it. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm still, I was still in the, um, like the first three months of my divorce after my divorce. And I'm like, I am not ready to date, but I have people like talking to me about it. And I, Mm -hmm. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around working through my emotions and our divorce happened very, very fast. Like from the time that we separated to the time that we divorced wasn't even a year. And so, and I know a lot of people, it's a longer process, right? So some people have opportunities to kind of work through a lot of the things that they need to before their divorce is finalized, you know, and even it's not, it's even typical to hear some people, you know, two or three or four years that it takes them to work through their divorce. Right. but mine had been months, which is why I still struggled with, you know, like I was working out of falling out of love with someone. Right. So how right, can, we? right. And the stability for my kids, you know, and then they already had like their, they had already been introduced to another person that now, you know, it's a stepmom. like they were preparing for that. So that, there's a lot of like things happening. And for me, I wanted as much stability for my kids as I possibly could. But I was kind of whining and complaining to my counselor, you know, like, oh, I don't know what to do about this. And they keep bugging me. And I don't, and he, he just was like, well, what if you go on a mission? And I remember just sitting there like, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm in my thirties, I have three kids and I have to work. Like, how does that even work? You know? <laughs> and I'm like, um, okay, what, what? <laughs> and he said, well, listen, just hear me out. And he said what if you um choose not to date and you can choose the amount of time that you're going to do it for and he says but we'll take a typical you know lds um woman's relationship or um mission which is 18 months so you don't date for 18 months you um just focus on your kids and you you live like a sister missionary you get up early you read your scriptures you work, of course, because you have to, but like you, you just kind of follow that routine. And I sat there and I was like thinking about it. And I thought, uh, I don't <laughs> even know how that would like, like, it was such a foreign concept, but then I was like, and then, then I can just tell people, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not dating. I'm serving a mission, you know? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, I actually love that. <laughs> idea. Like, this is so perfect. And so that's, that's what I did. And then This is how good heavenly father is. Then he called sister missionaries to serve in our ward. Hmm. So I was like, okay, so I became dear friends with these amazing women. And, um, and I have a picture of one um, of a couple of them and, and me in my rental house. And, um, and at the time, I mean, I, I worked so hard to become a sister missionary. I looked like I fit right in with them. And so, um, it's, it's one of those pictures that I've just held on to. that's kind of dear to me. Um, but I did, I had them over weekly. I would take them places that they needed to go. We'd have dinner if they needed somebody for splits, if they needed a ride. Um, and because, of my uh, career as a makeup artist and stylist and all that sort of stuff, I also taught them like makeup and mm. hair and all. we did, we did a lot of fun things. And it, I just, I had wonderful and rich relationships with these girls. And, um, and I did that for um, just a, a year and a half was what it wow. ended up being. Yeah. It was just perfect timing. So anyway, and it was, it was so great because it just totally freed up my mind. I didn't have to I didn't have to think about jumping back in the scene. And then it allowed me really to, to focus on rebuilding myself Mm -hmm. and, um, and developing that relationship with my heavenly father on a deeper level, um, where I didn't have any other distractions. And it was actually during that time that I, um, did my young women's, um, personal progress because that was the program at the time. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So I, and I did it when I was a youth, um, but I had served in the stake young women's presidency. And so, um, then my, my, um, counselor again, recommended that I, I do that. And so that was kind of my, my study. I did my scriptures and I did my personal progress and, and it was wonderful. It was a really happy, like I, I learned to be happy in a different way that didn't, um, it wasn't dependent on somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's such great advice.
0: When when you were just now describing it, I thought back to my, you know, I served a mission, where, you know, on Temple Square and in Canada. And I remember telling people that part of the wonderfulness, or we'll use that word, of serving, yeah. a mission, I didn't have to worry about dating. Yes, and I just didn't even, you know, think to apply it. But I think so many Women could really benefit from it. And when you're putting that much effort into Heavenly Father, you're able to soul search, like you said, and you were attending the temple like at 4 30 in the morning. I was
1: like, that's insane. <laughs> but well, I I couldn't like this was the other thing, Emily. I the more and that I did this, the more I longed to be in the temple. Yes. And it was not easy. And I'll be honest, like in the beginning, I would fall asleep frequently in uh-huh. a second because I was just tired. And, um, but the more I went, it was like my brain trained, um, so that I could stay awake and alert, but there was like, cause there were still things that were resolving, you know? I mean, we were still, it was only a year out from our divorce. So mm-hmm. there were, there were things like I had to deal with the emotional, you know, realization that my ex had been, you know, remarried, not, you know, so that happened in that time frame. Right. So, so where I found the most peace was just being in the temple. So anytime that I just was like starting to feel uncomfortable or stressed anxiety, I'd go to the temple. And, um, and sometimes if I, if I couldn't get up, you know, if I had something else going on um, and I couldn't do a full session, then I would just go and do initiatories and washing and anointings. And, um, so sometimes there were, there was a period of time where I was going two to three times a week because just, I needed to be there. And so the other thing that happened from that, that was so amazing for me is is that i had always enjoyed going to the temple, but it, it'd been an experience that I had always had with my former husband, right? Like we would go to the temple together. Right. So to be able to go and to have my own experience and, and to learn. And, and so I was able to memorize all aspects of the ordinances and that, which is huge. Right. So then I would have moments where those phrases would come into my mind and they would help strengthen me, you know, in moments where I was struggling and things like that. And it's even made me more grateful, you know, especially with the temples having been closed, like our temple in the Seattle area is still closed, um, for as far as, um, work for the dead and being able to go and do, so I still have all those ordinances memorized, right? Right, right? So I'm able to think about those things and feel that peace that comes from that. Um, so yeah, it has been a huge blessing that so many benefits. Yeah. Yep. It's far reaching.
0: It really is. It, it created a spiritual autonomy.
1: I, I feel like, yes. That's a great way to say it. Yeah.
0: is culture, what I've noticed a lot with my own clients, especially when they marry young and yep. they're marrying maybe a return missionary that knows they feel like so much more than them. They are dependent on them and, and then they don't create their own spiritual autonomy. So I, yeah, I, that's so, so important. And it's like a prescription for healing. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Please listen if you want to heal. I mean, that's that's really comes directly like a conduit. And let's talk more about healing here. And let's talk about forgiveness. I'm pretty sure it's like an entire chapter. Is that right? Like,
1: it's, it's really two chapters. Oh, there's two. So okay. It was a yeah. Lot. Yeah. It was a it's, lot. Yeah. It's so healing and forgiveness and forgiveness and boundaries, because okay. those things, like, That was a game changer when I learned about boundaries and how that helps with healing and then the forgiveness aspect of it. And there's some things that culturally, as an LDS culture that we, that have kind of like seeped into our culture. And so um, that I talk about and address in the book that were really um, important to, to help what is actually doctrine versus what is culturally believed. Right, right. Yeah. And so one of them was like the phrase forgive and forget, right? Okay. okay. Yeah. Or turn the other cheek. And um and and so or you're you're not because you're not forgetting this, you're not forgiving, right? Mm-hmm. And these kind of blanket statements, you could almost call them like toxic positivity. Just just forgive and forget. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah well, so easy uh, yeah, forget about yeah, right. <laughs> right and um and then people can use this like if if they see that you're not forgetting then then sometimes that's even used as a weapon against you like you know and what I learned especially with boundaries is like and and the scriptures do not say forget that's right. not what the scriptures say that's mm-hmm. not it at all says to forgive. And then I learned that it's important to remember things not to use, um, to throw back at people, but to remember healthy boundaries so that you kind of know, okay, well, that's, that's my boundary. And then it allows you then to heal because you have this boundary to be able to heal from. So, um, and I also learned, um, in the process of forgiveness that, um, heavenly father blesses you. Like I, I didn't want to forgive in the beginning. And I think most people feel this way. Right. Um, and, and I share this in depth in the book, but I talk about <laughs> that. I had to be really honest with my heavenly father and be like, look, you and I both know, I don't want to forgive him. <laughs> right. And I'm really angry about this. And I would have these conversations. Um, and what I would, what I could do though, is um, ask the Lord to give me the willingness to forgive.
0: Yes, And that
1: was really the place that I had to start because it, you, you can't just like, especially when you have 17 years of history, right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just Or any, any kind of history, it, it there's a process that goes th- you go through. So for me first I had to pray for the willingness and then slowly but surely I was taught by the spirit as I continue to study and to learn and pray for this, then the Lord would give me a little bit more. And, and then I would work on that. And then again, I would be taught and understand and have better understanding. And then, and then the Lord would give me just a little bit more and then I would continue to progress. So it was just like line upon line, precept on precept as I learned to progress through that. Um, because a lot of times too, like we talk about this in Sunday school, you need to forgive. Well, how, ha- how <laughs> like, give me some concrete, like it's, it's very, you know, you just forgive someone, you know, and right, right, there's, right. I found that there was actual steps that I needed to go through. Like, and like I said, it started for, for praying for willingness for me. So, and then as I, as I worked through that, then it was like this, the Lord changed my heart. That's what ended up happening. And, um, and then this also helped me to see my part. Right. Because we're human and we, we have shortcomings as well. And so that was really helpful for me to, to, to work on, you know, what can I do to clean up my side of the street? Um, Cause, and especially in a divorce, it's really, really easy. We want to point the finger. We want there to be somebody to be a definitive bad guy and somebody to be a good guy. Yes. And of course we want ourselves to be the good guys. Right. <laughs> but the truth is the reality is that we, it's somewhere in between, Right. Um, I, yeah. So you do or you do your best. But, well, I yeah. thought you
0: did it so eloquently in the book, and you really painted the picture that yes, Heavenly Father has asked this of us, but he hasn't asked us to do it alone. He asks <laughs> these things of us and then he will help you do it. Like he yeah. actually it he kind of takes over and it's him doing it, you know, when we yes when we allow him in. And I just love, I just love the stories. I don't want to share them all or because I want (laughs) people to read it. Um, But it really opened that up to me that not just for forgiveness, it taught me that everything he asks us to do, he'll like help us through it and and help us accomplish it. Right. That was wonderful. I want to talk about the boundaries. So you put it kind of together with forgiveness and boundaries. Yeah. You, um, Uh, one one little detail was allow your ex to foster relationships with his side of the family with your kids and you are responsible for fostering you know your extended family relationships with your side can you kind of go
1: into that Um, a little bit with boundaries well and so and I always tell and I talk about this too in the book like I think we we always strive for the ideal right like the ideal relationship. And then when you have to go through a divorce, you want the ideal divorce, right? Which would be that you both can co-parent very peaceably together. And, you know, you have former in-laws that are very supportive and kind and can work in between. But the reality is we're human and we're way more messy. And, and, and we have all, all of us have different stories, right? Backstories. So in my situation, it it was not the ideal. It just Mm -hmm. wasn't. And so I had to learn how do I work within this framework that is not the ideal at all and allows and fosters healing and forgiveness for them and healing and forgiveness for me. And so the best way for that for me was to um, well, and part of it was some of it was my choice and some of it was, was extent, you know, my former extended family, like, and I talk about this, like there were people in my former extended family who just stopped talking to me. Right. They had no interactions with me whatsoever. And, um, and it just, it was done. Like, like I, even before the divorce was final, once the the divorce process was starting, I was out, I was out of the family kind of. And so that was hard. That was really, really hard. Um, Especially because I had kind of grown up with some of these people and we, you know, had gone to their weddings and, yeah, and you have all these memories and your kids are cousins and all these different things. So it was hard. And, um, and I, and I loved my former in-laws dearly. And so that was also really difficult because, you know, um, they, they felt like that they, you know, that was another relationship that did not continue after the divorce. So, um, I just, I made the decision. I was like, well, how can I do this in a way that is helpful for both of them? And again, it was, it was while I was working through this process. Right. And my um, counselor gave me a really fantastic book. It's called boundaries. Um, I reference it in the, in my book and it's in the footnotes and things like that. So you can find the author of it, but it has it's a white cover with a red pencil. It's a very well-known book. It's like sold 4 million copies. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it is it's awesome because it approaches, um, from a Christian perspective, um, about boundaries, because this is something that we struggle with a lot. Um, you know, it's not just, um, unique to the LDS culture. Like I think Christians in general struggle with healthy boundaries and how does that work with forgiveness? Right. So anyway, um, So I just, I found that, uh, and I worked with my counselor on it and, and he was really helpful. You know, there were certain things I had to write down, like, this is my boundary here. So he just helped me to define and figure out what some of my boundaries were. And the boundary that I kind of found as I was going through the process, especially with my extended family was to allow my former spouse to really like, he was going to be the one, like, I didn't have to be the one to take them, you know, to the birthday parties or any of those different things. Um because that wouldn't be healing for me. And I think a lot of times as women that we, we try to do the right thing and, and then we don't allow, um, it it doesn't promote healing for ourselves, right? Like in our efforts, like, Oh, I I have to, I just have to do this. Right. Like, even Mm -hmm. though it's really painful and it continues to be raw for us. So, um, by allowing myself to have healthy boundaries that way, then and it just freed myself up. Like I was like, he gets to, ha- he can, de- they can develop whatever kind of relationship they want. And my job then is to not say anything ill about those family members and to be happy. Like, that's so great. You guys get to spend Christmas Eve together. Awesome. I bet you had a fun time hanging out with your cousins, right? Like, that's my job. No matter what is being said about me that's, that's my job. And that allows that healthy boundary, right? Like then I get to heal and then I don't have to ask him. uh, And then I'm not asking my former spouse to, you know, will you, will you take my kids to go see my sister or anything like that? Cause that's not healthy for him either. Right. So it's just, it's understanding. And I found it really helpful. And again, it was my counselor. We walked through and, you know, line by line wrote down different things to help me to be able to define what those boundaries looked like. And even, you know, fast forward several years and being remarried and, um, and I, I married, um, my husband is a widower. And so Mm -hmm. I don't have to deal with that part of it, but you know, now you've got two step parents, right. Mm -hmm. And so learning how do those boundaries work within those family dynamics as well too. Mm -hmm. So we just have learned that boundaries make people happier
0: (laughs) And, and promote healing. It, they really do, like you said, freedom to heal. It's so difficult to facilitate, you know, a relationship over there where there's all those triggers. And what should we yeah. get? Stepmom for her birthday and dad for the like. And so, yeah, I encourage that too to sit down and write down what you're comfortable with and what you're not, right? And figure that out. Yes.
1: Yep. It, yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it really creates that freedom. Let's kind of segue over to, you know, during trials, that adversary can come in, he can come in and he can try to take place, he can create negative thought loops, he can distort things, he can blur things. Uh, You talk about some decisions that were pivotal to you, can you expound upon maybe some of the um, thought loops that you had over and over, you know, those. Decisions.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, well, I served my mission. It, it was great. But, but the thing that was a reality of it is I was very lonely. Mm-hmm. Like during that time, right. You don't have any, anybody to share what's like some of the intimacies and, you know, and like, and when I would have high highs, you know, in my, my business, being able to be like, oh, I, you know, I, I closed this really big deal, you know, like, like that, <laughs> that shift of like total silence and also not having your kids. Like that was a huge adjustment Mm -hmm. when I would go for periods of time, um, not having my kids, um, while they were visiting their dad. And that was, that was really, really hard for me, um, in the beginning. And, um, because my kids had been my whole world, right? Like, yes. So, so some of the negative, um, thought loops were, you know, just struggling with that loneliness. That was a big part of it. Also, I had been told, um, I am very, um, I'm very driven person. So, um, I was told that, you know, that I was difficult to live with Mm. and, um, that, you know, no one would want to remarry me. <laughs> um, and, and I also didn't, I didn't fit the mold of what I saw, like the ideal, you know, girl mm. I wasn't tall and blonde and I'm, I'm short and really curvy. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and now I have, I've let my gray hair come in, but I love it yeah. by the way. Thank you. Um, so, you know, this was many years ago I had, I had long dark hair, um, but I I didn't fit in, in a lot of ways. And so the adversary, you know, he knows those things that are triggers for you. And so, um, I, I just really struggled feeling like I'm, I'm never going to find anybody and, and I'm going to, And feeling very, very lonely. And, um, and that's usually, and I had to work really, really hard to not feel those. Well, it wasn't that I wasn't wanting to feel those things. Of course, I didn't want to feel those things. But what I learned is you can't just ignore them. You Mm -hmm. have to address them. Mm -hmm. You have to like, call them out into the open. It's like a little bit like a boogeyman, right? Yes. It's so scary because it's underneath the, you know, it's like when the lights go out and you're laying in bed and then like, that's when those thoughts come in. And then you like have hot tears running down your face because you just are like so overwhelmed with it. It's just in those moments. Right. So I found that to combat some of those negative loops, I of course had to create new thought patterns and worked with my counselor with that. And also the 12 step program for me was huge for that. And I, I touch on that a little bit in the book. Um, but the other thing is, is that I was just really honest with the Lord. I'd be like, heavenly father, I'm feeling so lonely tonight. Mm-hmm. Like I, I want to get online and I want somebody to validate my worth, Yes. <laughs> like, like to say that they like me and and to, you know, that whole experience. And so I just, and and then it was like, as soon as I called it out in the open, it would evap, it would evaporate for the moment, you know, and, and I would feel the spirit come over me and I would feel comforted and I'd be able to get to sleep. Right. It always was late at night. That was like, like during the day I was busy. I had things to do. Um, and I will say going to the temple helped a ton with that, mm-hmm. those negative thought patterns, because sometimes when I couldn't get that loop out of my head, that's when those memorized parts of my covenants came in. So, you know, like it, it was just, it was huge for me. So I would, instead I would, th- I would go through the covenants in my head and mm, then, that's- and Then I would, then it would like squish that negative, you know, loop that way. So, those were some of the things that I found to combat it. But it's still, you know, there's, there's things I think that that is, that's human nature, right? Like it's part of our fallen state. All of us. Yeah.
0: All of us do this. And he knows, he knows our weakest moments and our weakest states, like you said. Right. I call it killing killing Godzilla while he's baby Godzilla before he's taking <laughs> over the city. <laughs> That's
1: so great. I love that.
0: Yeah. You know, like You have to address it and, and bring it into consciousness and awareness instead of resisting it is a huge first step that can right. alleviate a lot of it. But it's yeah. yeah, simple, again, so, so important. Yeah. Um, you talk about, and I mentioned this at the beginning a little bit, about becoming you know, we, we all have these to-do lists. We got to read our scriptures and we got to go to that temple and we've got to pray and we've got to be the perfect mom and visit teach and la, 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 la. Right. You talk a lot about just becoming and not wow. worrying about the list. <laughs> what, how do we do that?
1: Yes. Well, I, again, it's a process, right? Like I think it is shifting how you think about it. Um, In the book, I talk a lot about Mary and Martha And um, I have always loved the story of Mary and Martha for lots of different reasons, but I think that it's a good example of um, choosing the better part. Um, You have Martha who's running about, she's cumbered about, I love that word, I think, encumbered. She's encumbered with many things, right? And which means that she has her hands literally and figuratively full. Mm-hmm. I think that we as women feel that, right? Even if we don't have our hands full, our minds are filled constantly with stuff. And we're trying to juggle and do and be. And um and we live in a society where you are promoted by what you do. Mm. And so it becomes less about who you are and, and and what you do becomes who you are, like your list of all the things you do. Like I could tell you all the yes. things I've done, right? And it sounds super impressive, but that's not who I have become through the process, right? Mm-hmm. So that particular experience for me was, um, I, I kind of had to throw out my list of, of my do's And then I had to talk and have long conversations with my heavenly father about who he wanted me to become Mm. and, um, and, and who he is helping me become is so different than what I had in my head. It's, and it has been very, very humbling, um, to turn my life over to him. And that is a, it's a constant, like, that's, that's not a one-time thing right? Cause all the time I'm like, let me take that back. <laughs> this yeah. is going really well. I know the way we're going <laughs> and I get all excited. Right. And I, and then I'm running and then I trip and I'm like, Oh, can I give this back to you? This is, <laughs> this is not going as well as I thought. So it's, I, I haven't mastered it by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I do like, there's a sacred process that happens when we turn our lives and our will over to our heavenly father, And we allow ourselves to become humble enough so that he is able to, he's able to do so much more with us than we would ever be able to do by ourselves. And so, so, yeah, we become so much more and, um, and then our validation as a woman, as a wife, as a mother, isn't from the things that we do. Mm. It's who we've become. And then we get to teach that to our children, right? Like, like I love you unconditionally and it is not on what you do or you don't do. It's who you are. Yes.
0: I love that. I think it goes hand in hand with another topic that you allude to a lot and that's covenant belonging. Yeah, And you describe covenant belonging.
1: So this is uh, like, I had to study and learn so much about this because Elder Gong gives the most amazing talk about it. Okay. Excuse me. And so you, if, if you are interested in understanding more about covenant belonging, pull that talk out because it is phenomenal and you can study it for, I probably studied it for six months to try and understand really. So I, I explained this and I'll kind of just summarize so covenant belonging happens when number one, we make covenants with the Lord. And that happens through baptism, through temple ordinances, endowments, washing, anointings, ceilings. Those are our covenants, right? So okay. we, we become covenant keepers. We've made these covenants and really what covenants are, is there an intention they're saying to the Lord, I, this is what I'm intending. This is what I'm working towards. This is what I want, right? It's, it's that promise to the Lord. This is what we're willing to do. And then. On the other hand, you have personal revelation that comes as a result of developing that that further relationship with your heavenly father. So you have covenant keeping men and women who are receiving personal revelation, and then those come together. And that is is covenant belonging. We Mm. belong to the Lord through the covenants that we've made and the personal revelation that we've received whoa,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'll have to go study the talk. But yeah, it's, it's a little mind blowing. I'm like, wow, it's another level. It is, it really is like this other level that could bring additional healing, really additional help and additional. Miracle.
1: Yeah. Well, and what happens and, and you I'm going to skip ahead, I'm going to answer one of your questions. Okay so it goes into personal revelation. And then this is the amazing thing is personal revelation is a renewable source of strength and power. Mm -hmm. And, and that is amazing because then it, it allows you like to continue to be able to do things that you would not normally be able to do. And it it comes from that priesthood power that we've made with these covenants.
0: I was telling you that. I work, you know, I work with my clients to manage energy instead yeah. of time, really to manage uh, physical energy, mentally, emotional. And then when I was reading and, and the spiritual um, energy. So when I was reading that part, I got super pumped up. I was like, yes, it's like yeah. renewable. And I, I have felt that, can you give any experiences? I mean, maybe like, almost every day, probably just to get you through the day. I just, I hear so many single moms, you know, they're like, I'm tired. I can't, you know, like, can you give experiences of your spiritual renewal?
1: Well, like what I was doing back then, I don't even know how I physically did it. Right. Like, like when I actually, cause, um, I I had a couple of editors that work helped me with my book. And so one of my editors was like, can you just tell us a little bit about a day in the life of, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, oh, you, you want to know? And she's like, ah, I really do want to know. So I wrote it down. I was like, okay. So I'm writing it down. I'm like, I get up at 4:30 in the morning to get ready to go to the temple. I go to the temple. I come home, I get my kids breakfast, get make sure that they're all dressed and ready and get them out the door for school. And then my oldest was in a private school that we'd gotten a scholarship for him. Cause he had some special learning, um, disabilities. And so, so then I would drive him, which was 30 minutes away to school. And then I would drive back 30 minutes to go to work. And then I would work a full eight hours and then I would get off work. um, And I was thankfully able to get off then and go um, to pick up my son 30 minutes away and then 30 minutes back. And then I would get home and my boys would be there and then I would make dinner. Right and we do homework and whatever else activities that we needed to do and my kids were in um, softball at the time and then also my oldest was in youth, you know um, he was old enough to be in the young men's program and so you know all those different things and then we would get ready for bed and I, I, so I'm in there I'd do my scripture study and then I'd go to sleep and I did that day in day out And then on weekends, I, I, um, you know, on Sundays, of course I just went to church, but then if there were, you know, part of my calling, anything that I needed to do for my calling, right? but then even Saturday, yeah. And then even Saturdays, I, I had another job that I worked. And so I would, I would often do that on Saturdays. So gosh, yeah, it was like, I, (laughs) I like, I, it, I sound like wonder woman, (laughs) that's the only, but I know I'm not unique in this way. Like you talk to any single mom and that is like, how do they do everything that they need to do? Right. Yep. And, and the only way that I had the ability to do that and have the strength and the emotional fortitude and the spiritual like components, because it wasn't just like, you're also having moments where you're teaching your children, right. Like, and you're talking and you're interacting with them. And, and you're also like, we were doing scripture study as a family and, and, you know, family home evening, and we were doing all those different things. And so What I learned though, is, is that where it comes back to that renewable source of strength, right? Like as I, as I poured myself into, um, and and it was really humbling myself and kneeling and praying and aligning my will with the Lord and focusing on who I was becoming, not a list of what I was doing Mm -hmm. because the list of what I was doing was Crazy, right? <laughs> but who was I becoming through this process? And and the closer that I drew to my heavenly father, the more strength that I received, the more ability that I had. And I really feel like um I, I think we don't talk about it enough, but but we have ministering angels. Yes. Like we're told this over and over in the scriptures and from our leaders, we have ministering angels that we can call upon and ask for that help and that strength and um, and I touch on that a little bit, but I will say that you know as my um, current husband and I have blended our families and the experiences that we've been through, like I have such a testimony of ministering angels and the ability that, that they have to work in our lives and lift us and help us as we're going through difficult things. So um, I think that as um, you work on a, on who you're becoming, like there's an amazing synergistic thing that happens where you are, you're given the energy that you need to. And, and the clarity of mind, like that was the other thing that, that choosing not to date at that time helped me with. Then I had that clarity of mind. I wasn't like, you know, giddy and Twitter painted over, you know, somebody being interested in me and stuff. And, and I, so it allowed me to really dive deep and focus on developing that relationship with my heavenly father so that I, I had the strength um, to do the things that I needed to do as a single mom. Those are
0: miracles too. That's yes, it really is a miracle. And I can't remember the exact scripture, but you know, as we turn to Him and even ask and try and to trust and be faithful, He will be on our left side and our right side, bearing yes. us up, helping us accomplish these insurmountable type things, and giving us that spiritual energy. Right. So, I just love that. And I also loved, and I hope that you will share. You illustrated like this beautiful metaphor of comparing yourself to the Provo taver- Tabernacle, at the time that burnt right. and then was restored, and all the things that they had to do, you know, they had to dig yeah. further. Would you kind of share that in a nutshell?
1: Yes. Yeah. In fact, I actually, I'm going to show, cause I know that we're going to make a oh, video of this too. Yes. So this is, this is the cover of my book. And you can see that this is the Provo city center temple. And then this is the tabernacle picture yeah. burning. And so, and you can see this online too on Amazon. Um, this was huge, actually how this, um, came to me. So as I was working on, um, on writing the book, um, I was thinking about, you know, what I want, what do I want the cover to look like? And, um, when the tabernacle burned, um, I remember like watching that. And I um, I grew up in Washington state. So I didn't have the same emotional ties that a lot of people have to Provo and, mm-hmm. and tabernacle and everything like that. So I remember watching it and thinking that was really, really sad, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was my thought. But then I was at that general conference when President Monson announced that he was they were gonna turn it into a temple.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I, I was like, oh. And it was at that moment that I, I remember thinking that's me, that's me. I was this tabernacle in, in, and I, and I did tons of service. I, I fulfilled my callings. Well, like I, I was functional and, and there was lots of good things that I, I did during this time. Right. Like, and, and then with my divorce, Mm -hmm. all that just burned, it just burned away. Hmm. But then the lord like built my roots so deep like he dug out all those old foundations and he built them so deep and then you know little bit by little bit he he made a temple of me mm-hmm. and it just i i was like oh and and then i had i was so excited because i had the opportunity to go to the Provo city center temple and to actually be able to go, you know, through it and understand what they had done through the process, you know, cause they did, they dug out and went really, really deep and added two more floors and
0: yeah, crazy. did all these
1: amazing things to it. And, and it just brought that metaphor back so much to me. And, and also the fact that like that, it was such a symbol of hope, right? Like this tabernacle that had had a lot of meaning for a lot of people and, um, and, and had lots of memories with it. Like the Lord said, we're not done with that yet. Like, that's beautiful. And I'm so thankful for it. And it has, has provided wonderful service for so many years, but I'm not done with that yet. And that's what I feel like, like he's He's not done with any of us yet. Right. Mm-hmm. He wants to build us into these holy temples that can be places where he, he is able to come right. Holiness to the Lord. that's that's what we want. So I do talk a lot about that um, and just what that experience was like and that understanding. And then it was really neat after, as I was doing research to um, include in my book, I found out that when they dedicated the temple, they actually um, had the theme beauty for ashes as the the dedication for the temple. So I was like, oh, gosh. oh, that's so amazing. Yeah, that was, that was really, um, wow. I, I was like, well, there it is. Heavenly father. <laughs> so
0: Wow. It's yeah. interesting. I have a lot of people who will tell me, I just want to get back to my old self. I just want to feel like the old me. And I say, no, every time, yeah. no, mm-hmm. you're going to get to a new you. Right, Even better this is the temple now like you know and right. it's such a perfect metaphor and such a great thing that ties into the title of your book um yeah it's thank you it's emotional yeah. it is. um kind of as my my parting questions here is just personally what would you say to women or anyone struggling who's in this same situation, who's in the thick of it, right. that feels like their faith is waning. And even with that, maybe what would you say to people contemplating leaving the church? Like it's yeah. so hard. What, right. Just what would you say?
1: Well, that was that was another thing. That was another reason why I wrote the book because it almost felt like I saw two Two paths, like either people from their divorce stayed in the church and became stronger or they left the church. And um and I I wanted I knew for me my path forward was staying in the church. And so I needed to find a way to do that and become stronger. But um I mean, there were moments. There were moments where I was like it was hard because you've got the culture of the church, which is very family centric. And, um, can feel uncomfortable when you're not in that, um, when you're not feeling like you're part of the box, right? Like the ideal. Yep. Yeah. And, um, and what I've learned through the process is the only person that is promoting the idea of the ideal is the adversary. Yes. Yeah. And, and if you think about it too, he promoted the ideal in the pre-existence. Hmm. His plan was the ideal. Everybody gets to come home. No, we're not going to lose anybody. Yes. You don't get to choose, but that's not a big deal. You're all going to, you're all going to come home. Like that's it's the ideal. You're right. 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 So when I realized that I'm like, well, then that means that no one is living the ideal. That whole idea yes. is false and it only comes from the adversary. So that means that Susie Q sitting in that pew who looks like she has the perfect life through three perfectly groomed children and her wonderful husband, and they have their big house. That, that's it. Those all those things might be true, but it doesn't mean that she's living the ideal. Right. Like there's there's no such thing. And so then you start to look at people differently and you start to see them through the savior's eyes. And and then you you see that they're just human. They're just human like you are. And they're struggling um, with all sorts of things that most of the time that we walk around not knowing about anybody else. So the first thing I would say is recognize that the ideal does not exist. And the only person that that comes from is the adversary. It's not, it's not an idea that our heavenly father promotes. That's, that's not what he is about. Mm -hmm. So that would be the first thing. And then the second thing I would say is that, um, root yourself, like ground yourself, bind yourself to your heavenly father through your covenants, your covenants will are the strongest thing about you. And a lot of times people feel like, well, my covenant is broken. Like I am not sealed anymore to anyone. And I talk about this too, because, um, I chose to stay sealed to my former spouse until I remarried. And, um, because those promises I kept my covenants. So those promises were mine. Yes. And, and I wasn't going to have one more thing taken away from me. That's how I felt. And so, mm-hmm. um, and, and I know for a lot of people, it's very comforting to be able to have their ceiling dissolved um, and that's part of their healing process. So I really encourage people to, you know, pray and to, to make the decision that's best for you. Um, Cause I, I've talked to a lot of people and that is a huge part of their, their healing process. Um, that, that wasn't as big of a deal for me because I, I knew and I understood that, that I wasn't um, even if I was sealed to him, I, I wasn't going to be forced to have to live with him, you know, into the eternities. <clears throat> and I felt like the be- blessings that came from keeping it were, I wanted those more than anything else. So I would say, do everything in your power to keep your covenants. And um, because those are your strongest weapon, like, or not weapons, not the right word, but like, um, but maybe it is like, yeah, like, if is. you think about Yeah. Like arming yourself. Yeah. With the armor of God, right? Like you've got your breastplate and your shield of faith and your sword and you've got your covenants, like you're, and the other part is you're going into battle. So you do need to be prepared for that. And that's not that you're fighting your ex or anything like that. The battle is with the adversary. That's who the battle is with. So I think, um, and I, I have had, unfortunately, I've had lots of friends that have, you know, since my divorce, I, I've known several, several people who have gotten divorced and they all do different paths. Like, you know, some go away from the church for a little while and then they come back for, you know, and then other people, you know, that they stay on the path and they, you know, and this is what I'm learning is that there's room, there's room and there's space and heavenly father is forgiving and the atonement covers more than any of us could ever even comprehend. So that's why in the beginning of my book, I say there's no right or wrong way to get divorced. It's an individual experience and it's a personal experience um, that is individual for the person that's going through it. And um, your covenants are what bind you to your heavenly father. So if you're wanting to stay on that covenant path and you're not sure, like, where do I go? Start with your covenants Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: do everything that you can to um to follow and o- obey those with exactness because that's the other thing president nelson says this when we follow with exact obedience like blessings from heaven come and there's this part that i came to where literally anything that i asked for from the lord he gave me yes which it's like yeah it's crazy what? it but it happens yeah. it happens and it happens as a result of keep continuing to keep those covenants and um so and and diving into the scriptures like that's the other part of it and don't be afraid oh this would be the other piece of advice I would say get comfortable with being uncomfortable and don't be afraid to be alone like own it like I I loved being single I mean I love parts of being single I'll right. say that right. <laughs> yes yeah but and and be okay like I think our modern day society it's all about being as comfortable as we possibly can right like but that again is a falsehood that is also satan's plan everybody gets the ideal and everybody's comfortable and everybody's taken care of and it's all but but heavenly father is his plan is all about us learning and growing and becoming he's not interested in having you know a whole bunch of robots. <laughs> that just, you know, think and feel and say, do the same thing. And, um and so I, I just think that it it's, it's a process, right? So don't, don't be afraid of being uncomfortable. Like, that means that you're growing. That means something amazing is happening. That means you're becoming.
0: Yeah. Well, that was amazing advice. <laughs> I, I think of yeah. Jesus Christ is not hanging out with the ideal. He's not. Oh no, uh-uh. he that he's not hanging out with the perfect people either. Which the ideal and the perfect people don't exist. That's right. So That's right. that is uh, something we all make up culturally and and in our inside our own brains. Yeah. So thank you so much. You're so refreshing. And <laughs> thank you, the book, Beauty for Ashes, Divorce in the Latter-day Saint Women, where do we get it?
1: It's on Amazon. Okay. So you can look it up under the, the title, um, Beauty for Ashes, Divorce and the Latter-day Saint Woman, or you can look it up underneath my name, Noelle McBride.
0: Okay. And I'll definitely put a link in the show notes for everybody. And gosh, again, if you can read it, please, please do. It, it was such a good read. And this is I mean, I am, where am I? I'm like 14 years removed from a divorce, but still through any challenges you're experiencing, all of the advice and the experiences are applicable. So I love it.
1: Thank you so much, Emily.
0: You are so welcome. Thanks for joining me, everybody. Go get that book and have a great day. We wish you the best and uh, make it what you want. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you enjoyed the podcast, please write a review, subscribe, share. And if you'd like to do some personal coaching with me, hop on over to my website, CoachEmilySanchez.com.